Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I am your host Colin Bourne. And I'm Aaliyah. And we got something a little bit special for you today since we're done with our franchise for now. Yes. We actually are going to be doing something a little more fun that I think this would be great to talk about. So would you like to explain to our viewers what we're going to do? Well, for our listeners, yes. Sorry. I have dyslexia. We're still not doing video yet, so we don't really have viewers, but we do have listeners. I'm very excited to do this one, too, because during the time that we were going through the Child's Play franchise, I was like, well, what are we going to do after that? Because there's so many things that we could talk about, but I didn't want to jump into another franchise speed review. No, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I didn't want to have to go back right away to doing games and trivias like we usually do. So I figured a good thing that we could talk about would be horror fan theories. And it could be anything from horror movies, TV shows, books, etc. Just different types of medias in which horror is created. Yeah, so and I told one of my friends about what we're going to do today. And she's super excited about it because she actually listens to our podcast. And... She likes to put some of her, like, two cents about what she knows about horror. And she did that especially with the last um, franchise we did with Chucky. Really? She kept messaging me about certain stuff like, this is how I feel about this or feel about Chucky and this. You Are you know, talking about Carolyn? Like yeah. <laughs> so this is a huge shout out to her. I know she's probably going to listen to this episode. So hi, Carolyn. Hi, Carolyn. We love you. We and do love you. <laughs> yes, you are family. You are love. I'm, I'm also going to post the picture that she made for us for our podcast. Yeah, she actually made us uh, She actually made us a few things. Not only just yes. the uh, the Abby Normal podcast sign with, with Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein on there. Mm-hmm. But she also made us some coasters, too. And those are like some H.P. Lovecraft type of like theme. She made Kraken-themed yeah, she posters. made, like, Cthulhu and shit like yeah, that. But yeah, but it was really cool, and I I loved them. it, yeah. yeah. Thank I still, you. So, I still yeah. need to bring them into the the room back here. Yeah, exactly. So, again, thank you, Carolyn. So you we're are gonna, the best. We're going to dedicate this one to Carolyn, and I hope she enjoys this one, because the first two theories we're going to go over are Halloween-themed, mm-hmm. like Halloween the movie, not just the holiday. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one I had that I thought was very compelling is Dr. Samuel Loomis is from Psycho and Halloween. And you know what's funny? I never put those two together until we started doing this. Yeah. And And I never knew the guy's name in Psycho. Right. Yeah. And as I mentioned in the last week's episode, I had just watched Psycho for the first time recently, and I heard the name Sam Loomis, and I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. It's the same name as Dr. Samuel Loomis for Halloween. Kind of like how Billy Loomis in Scream is referenced to Dr. Loomis. Uh-huh. Actually, everything's referenced to Dr. Loomis. He has the most popular name. Like, there is a wrestler named Dexter Loomis, and he took his name from two things. Dexter, the TV show, mm-hmm. and then Loomis, Dr. Loomis. Yay. So that's how he took his. So, yeah. But Psycho definitely has a lot of compelling themes about psychology in terms of not only multiple personality disorder, but dissociative identity disorder, which back in the 60s, they never really knew much about. They chalked it up to, well, if a person is experiencing more than one type of personality, then that means they have multiple personality disorder, which we have now know today is more complex than that. A person with multiple personalities or dissociative identities don't always remember their actions when they are in and out of other personalities. Didn't so 
Didn't you say that was known for, as like DID or yeah, something like DID that? is dissociative identity disorder, which so, is a it's a type of identity disorder in which is how people sometimes cope with trauma. So if they're experiencing a moment that's related to a traumatic incident in their past, they slip into a, an identity to dissociate from that traumatic event. Kind of like in Moon Knight. Was it Mark or Steve? What was his name? I don't thought you were talking about Moonlight with Cher and Chris and Nicholas Cage. No. I'm so sorry. No, oh his my name, god, no, where have you been? Mark, Steve. And John Locke, right? Or yes. John Lockie? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So yes, yes. Mark is the original, right? And in his trauma with dealing with an alcoholic abusive mother, he created Stephen or Steve to cope with that part of his life. Sam Loomis assisted in taking down Norman Bates and was present during the psychiatrist's explanation of Norman's psychosis. The psychiatrist relayed that during his conversation with Norman, he was was really talking to Norma Bates, the personality that Norman had compartmentalized as his mother to cope with the fact that she was not only dead, but that he had killed her. Mm-hmm. Which was something I didn't realize was the actual case until, until the end of the later, movie. Until later, yeah. Yeah, until the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. After the events of Psycho, which was released 18 years prior from Halloween, it's possible that it inspired Loomis to pursue a career in psychology. When Loomis takes on Michael Myers as a patient, he becomes obsessed with trying to figure out Myers' psychosis. Because the biggest difference between Norman and Michael is that Norman talks and has conversations with people. Michael doesn't. So if you have a person who's non-communicative and you're trying to figure out what is going on with them mentally, they're not going to talk to you. They're not going to explain to you what's going on. And someone like Michael, his outlet is to kill people. That's his only way of communicating. So... And it's, and with like I said, without knowing anything from Michael himself, the way that they understood Norman, Loomis comes to the conclusion based on Michael's senseless compulsiveness to kill that Michael Myers is the physical embodiment of fear and evil, and that's the only way that Loomis can identify Michael as a person, psychologically. So here's the thing that I'm trying to understand here. All right. Trying to cope with. If they're in the same universe, Sam Loomis is Dr. Loomis. Yeah. In those 18 years, you know how incredibly young-looking that Sam was in Psycho compared to him in 1960 and going all the way to, like, 1978. That's a lot of... Aging, yeah. Aging and stress and hair loss and all that. And, like, and within those eight year, 18 years, he looks like Dr. Loomis? Aging thing I didn't get because there's no way in 18 years you can age that quick. Well, it's never really disclosed exactly how old Sam Loomis is in Psycho. And given how he looks physically in Psycho, we can estimate that his age range is somewhere between 25 to possibly 35. All right? Let's say it's the latter. If he's, like, in his early to mid-30s, 18 years from then would be putting him in his late 40s, pushing 50 almost, which could make sense. But you don't know. That's just a possible theory, which I think holds some relevancy. But what do you think? I just feel like just I get there are some really bad looking aging people in the like in their late forties, <laughs> but man, you've seen Doctor Loomis in that first Halloween. That well, is pure ugly compared to what you, Sam Loomis looks like in Psycho. Can you imagine though going through the stresses of being a psychologist or being a therapist, of interacting with people who are mentally unwell? And then having to listen to them day in and day out. All the stress that you would have to go through trying to psychoanalyze 
each and every person who comes into your office. Yeah, but I, I would imagine that to be emotionally and mentally taxing. I know, but not everyone can look like Dr. Loomis. Yeah, and people... 40s. Like, I, that wouldn't be me yeah. if I was a psychiatrist. Yeah. I'd probably still look good-looking good in and my but, late 40s. But it's like you said, people don't always age gracefully. I mean, you see how presidents age in their four-year terms? Especially Barack Obama, when yeah. he was, like, super dark hair, and then he yeah. was, like, gray by the end of the eighth. I know, but that's, that's just another example of how the stresses of your job and profession could have... Again, not only an emotional, but physical and mental Actually, Ronald Reagan stress. still looked the same when he was going through his his presidency for eight years. Like, by the, uh, for, by the beginning of it and to the end, he still looked the same. It's called Hollywood makeup, honey. I know he was, <laughs> he an, was an actor. A, but he I was an think, actor. <laughs> I know, but I, he couldn't use that to, even there. I don't know. Yeah, he probably could have. Then again, he was a cowboy. But anyway, that's not the point. Is there um, is there anything you want to talk about more about this theory before I get into the next one? No, I think if anything, we should jump into the next one because it really makes sense for like to continue this Halloween rave to go into what the next. I one do is. want to point out one more thing. Uh, we yes, we know that in Psycho, doc not Doctor, but Sam Loomis was the boyfriend to Marion Crane, the victim of Norman Bates in the movie Psycho. And we never really know also how he processed his grief in the wake of finding out that Marion was dead. Maybe that's why he looks so bad in Halloween because he aged horribly because of his grief. Yeah, and let's let's be honest too. I think it's been heavily known throughout the franchise that Dr. Loomis was not only a obsessive compulsive man he was also something of an alcoholic a little bit so maybe that was his griefing process also not a healthy one mind you but yes it's possible my second theory ties into halloween still which i think this is really cool i think this one and i looked more into the other movie that we're going to be discussing with this theory because i want to watch it we haven't watched the movie us which was released in 2019 it's one of jordan peele's movies and it's a very popular well-known movie because it dabbles a bit in the psychological thriller genre like we talked about in our psycho thriller episode if you guys listen to that one my sister does give me a bit of a rundown as to what is actually happening in that movie and what the other people that are called the tethered are so this theory simply put that it's possible that michael myers is a tethered Mm -hmm. now this is what i learned about them when i looked up the movie because again i haven't watched it and i know i've just ruined the movie for myself so if you so good job yeah the tethered are doppelgangers counterparts of people who exist on the surface The tethered are the products of a failed government experiment to clone American citizens and replace them with the clones. The only defect as a result was the inability to replicate emotions or human souls, leaving the clones emotionless beings designed to mimic their counterparts. Well, honestly, it makes me not want to meet my doppelganger anytime soon. With the project abandoned, the tethered were left to fend for themselves in the underground tunnels that span across the country, feeding off of rabbit meat. Some similarities, though, between the Tethered and Michael Myers is that they're both mute, they're incredibly strong, and they're extremely fast-moving. But they talk compared to... Well, no, they don't. Not the Tethered. Only Red. 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 So, in the movie Us, Adelaide is the main character. Her counterpart, Red, is actually... Adelaide. That's the main twist at the end. It's revealed that when Adelaide was a little girl, and I'm going to go into this. So in 1986, 
Adelaide was abducted and switched with her tethered counterpart, Red. Red would then take Adelaide's place in her normal life and would grow up to be Adelaide, while Adelaide, stuck in the tunnels with the others, the tethered, would not only grow up in that life, she would grow up to be mimicking what Adelaide was doing up above. So she would go on to marry her husband's counterpart and have the counterpart of their children in the underground. But here's the thing. Because Adelaide was like a little kid when she was abducted, she still had some speech, whereas all the other tethered don't. They use like gruntal communicational skills. Yeah, they don't really like form words. Which is why when we see Red and we're introduced to Red, she's the only one who has the ability to speak. Not full speeches, but certain speeches. Hmm. Because of this, she's able to group the tethered into revolting against their above counterparts. Yeah. That's how she starts this whole revolution. Now all the tethered are coming out from the underground and killing off their counterparts to take over their lives, which is what Adelaide, the original Adelaide, would grow up to be. Interesting, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Now, remember, I said this switch happens in 1986, right? In 1963, a six-year-old Michael Myers murders his teenage sister on the night of Halloween. Fifteen years later, in 1978, he escapes from a sanitarium and goes on a murder spree. And then, 40 years later, he escapes during a bus accident and goes on yet another murder spree, which is the Halloween 2018 movie. So it's believed that not only was Michael a tethered, but it's possible he could have been the experiment that the government used to make the switch, only to find out that the clone that they replaced the original Michael with was a murderous being who would then go on and kill people. Now they gotta lock him away in a sanitarium and they gotta shut down the project. Michael Myers was the test subject that closed down the experiment. What do you think? That was pretty pretty believable, for sure. Yeah, I mean, couldn't you believe it, though? I could. Yeah, because, I mean, think about it. Because he's going on a rampage here. Not only is he going on the rampage in almost a similar manner that the Tethered eventually would go on to do in 2019, which, yeah. again, was a year after the events of 2018's Halloween. Yeah, so just imagine if they actually co in line with him. If they co in line with the events of Michael Myers' killing sprees, it's possible. But think about it. We don't know much about Michael's life prior to him killing his sister, Judith. Mm-hmm. And when we watch the movie Halloween Kills, we get a bit of an insight as to the people who grew up around him and what he was like. And they all say he was a quiet kid, never really socialized. And when he did try to play with other kids, people said he was just very off-putting, very socially distant, and didn't really have a lot to... Yeah, but that's a lot of killers. I mean, yes. But again, it's still... It could be his typical normal behavior, you know, for a six-year-old child, but... But it's possible but. it's possible that they switched the two Michaels. Mm-hmm. They sent up a tethered version of Michael who was more violent than the original and actually would go on to kill people. What yeah. do you think? I could see it happening. All right. You know? I think it holds some water there. Like There's some water there that, you know... I can see that. It definitely has that kind of, like I said, relevancy. Like, mm-hmm. the, the similarities between Michael Myers as a killer compared to the tethered I, th- I think it's a believable theory. Um, yeah. I don't know about the next one, though. 
the, yeah. next, the next one, though, depending. I don't know. Yeah, so the next one I have in mind is the Necronomicon may be responsible for the events of Friday the 13th. Thoughts before I go into this? Well, I mean, like you said yesterday, I've seen Jason Goes to Hell. Okay. And the Necronomicon was in that, in that movie. Yeah. But then again, throughout the years, we've talked about this, where objects, weapons, beings, stuff like that have all been in, in say, movies together. Like with Bride of Chucky, and you yes. see the claw, and the machete, or whatever is in there. And then also with um, the Dark Tower, actually. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's a Stephen no. King movie with Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba. Idris Elba, yes. Idris, sorry, Idris. I mean, sorry, Idris. Idris Elba. Idris, sorry, Idris. Oh, my God. So, anyway, oh, my God. They go into a different dimension of the Dark Tower, and there is a forest-like area that has a carnival-like thing, and it said uh, in there, Pennywise, the dancing clown. Well, see, that's the thing, though. And with Stephen King's universe, they can have those. But, see, that's the thing. The, The difference between the Stephen King universe versus everybody else is that Stephen King doesn't shy away from the fact that all of his books are connected. Yeah. All of his books take place in similar locations. And in some relevancies they tie some of the plots tie into one another in other of his books. That's not uncommon yeah. for Stephen King to do. Yeah, it's the Stephen King universe. But but for other movies, like we had also mentioned prior to this, Freddy versus Jason was the one of the few instances where horror movies have crossed over since the Universal Monsters have yeah. crossed over. Wolfman versus Frankenstein, yes. which is a good movie. Yes. So it's not hard to assume that Evil Dead has some connections to those movies as well. And, f- and it usually yeah. happens when a production company is making different horror movies and someone comes along with the idea like, oh, hey, we've produced Nightmare on Elm Street and we've also produced Friday the 13th which are two well-known franchises that a lot of horror fans love, wouldn't it be cool if we combine the two into a crossover movie and we see who would come out on top? Now, you had also mentioned... That they were going to do Freddy versus Jason versus Ash from right. Evil Dead. So I'm going to go into my facts here. So as you said, there is a scene in Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, which... Let's be honest, it was never going to be the final Friday, alright? They always say that there's going to be the final movie of a franchise, and it's never the like final movie. Like the final movie. chapter, yes. or yeah, it never happened. Freddy's final nightmare, that's all horse shit, okay? The Necronomicon can be seen in the Voorhees' home in one of the scenes. This could be how Jason continues to come back to life in these movies. Possibly. But director Adam Curtis once said in an interview with Horror Geek Life website that he and Sam Raimi came up with an idea for a film that the Necronomicon would be used to revive Jason. There was talk of a Freddy vs. Jason sequel that would feature Ash Williams from the Evil Dead franchise, but it was never brought to fruition. Thoughts? It's too bad that it wasn't, that it would actually come out. I mean, if it was, it'd probably be a much more bigger success than Freddy vs. Jason, honestly. Yeah, and I've never really watched the Evil Dead movies. I mean, I've heard of them and I know of them, but I've know, never really but, watched them. But we'll get you to watch them to understand Eventually more. we'll get them 
I'll watch them. Eventually, yeah. I'll get around to it. And not only that, the not only the movies are great, the TV show is excellent. Ash vs. Evil Dead. Yeah. Very good show. I feel like that culminates all the all the Evil Dead series. Like, yeah, they did with Chucky, and they did culminate all the references and the universe of that. Right. It's the same thing with Evil Dead. He references everything from his past. If I do that, though, like if I watch all the Evil Dead movies and the remake, you and I have to do a remake debate on the Evil Dead. Didn't we already do a remake debate on the Evil Dead? No, because I've never watched the Evil Dead. Right. I can't I can't do a discussion about a movie that I haven't watched yet. That's why when I picked out these theories, I only picked ones that you and I have watched together. Alright. But anyway, I move on. We'll do it. What do you think, though, so far about that theory? I know you are a little apprehensive about it, well, because but... Because who the hell would bring back Jason out of any type of... Cre- I wouldn't, especially in that book, where even if they... Why would you want to open up the book to summon anything, or even... How could... That's the thing, too, is that when these people read the, uh, the book, it's in Latin. How the hell do some of these people who are, like, very white... Actually, who are very white can pronounce Latin words so well. You have to be educated. I, I have three three words each for those questions. So you said, why would somebody read a book that summons the dead to revive Jason Voorhees? Three word answer. Stupid white people. And it's usually the reasoning behind every horror plot in any horror movie or book or TV show. See, you don't see any nationality, any other nationality doing stupid things that white people do in these But movies. again, it's like every horror movie, it's usually a white person who makes a stupid fucking decision that ends up getting themselves stuck in these predicaments. And I know we can't talk because we're both white, but here's right. the thing. We're not dumb. We've well, seen... Well, no, not when it comes to horror movies. If we had to do it right in the horror movies, we would not get in trouble. And then... Because white people in horror movies are stupid. That is usually the reason behind most events in horror movies. And then your other question was, how would white people be able to read Latin from a hundred plus year old book? Unless you're very educated and went to college for Latin. My three word answer? Sounding it out. It's what I tell you to do every time you try to say something. You know what? Never mind. Sound it out, Colin. Shut up. That's what they tell you to do when you're in kindergarten and you're learning to read for the first time. Well, anyway. Well, did any other freaking kid that you were being smart to ever said to you, shut up? I tell you to shut up like ten times a day. Does that mean you actually do it? No. Sometimes. Because so, I choose not to fight anymore. Anyway, speaking of that, let us move on. Well, going back to the Necronomicon theory, I think that if the film had actually been made and if there was actually a little bit more of a connection between the Evil Dead franchise and the Friday the 13th franchise aside from that one cameo appearance the book made Mm -hmm. there would be more to it but just because you put an object in a scene of a completely different franchise movie doesn't mean that there's anything solidified there of a connection. It's like we said with Bride of Chucky. We only thought that Chucky was the only slasher in his own little universe. But then when you watch Bride of Chucky in that evidence depository scene, you see Freddy Krueger's glove. You see Jason Voorhees' mask and machete. Michael Myers' mask and butcher knife. That doesn't mean, though, that all of these things are connected unless you continue on with that plot. Yeah, but other than that, they're really not. 
Yeah, because, I mean, think about they it. they don't continue, like you not, said. Not only that, but they're not all located within the same area. Yeah, a lot of you them have, are from different places. Yeah, I mean, you have Springfield, Illinois, Haddonfield, Illinois. Like that, that right there, you can connect Friday the 13th, not Halloween, with Nightmare on Elm Street. But and Jason, Crystal he, Lake. That's in New Jersey. Crystal Lake, is it in New Jersey? I think so. I don't know where Camp Crystal Lake is actually located. Hang, hang on. After a quick Google search, we found out <laughs> that Camp Crystal Lake is located in Cunningham County, New Jersey. And not to, not only that, I, I think it kind of makes sense, too, that Chucky is from Hackensack, New yes, Jersey. But most of his movies kind of take place in other locations. Like There's Illinois or Detroit. Detroit, Chicago, New Jersey. I mean, if you were to That's, continue... Um, if you were to continue the Child's Play franchise with a crossover of any other horror movie, it would definitely be Camp Crystal Lake Friday the 13th. Because it makes sense. The locations are similar and close by. But could you imagine Freddy Krueger trying to fight Michael Myers? Can you imagine him trying to get in Michael Myers' mind? Yeah, well, but I feel like Michael Myers would overpower him in every way possible. Because I was going to say that. The stuff that would be going through in his mind... Would probably scare the shit out of Freddy. If yeah. not kill him, Freddy, scare the shit out of him. Because Freddy is not only a scary and intimidating man, but he also is... He can be vulnerable at times. He can be um, very charismatic and very cookie. Like, very cookie. Yeah. But going into a guy who's a lot more scarier than Freddy... A guy who probably never sleeps either. Yeah, no. Michael doesn't sleep. If he does, yeah. his eyes are open the whole time. Like me, when I was a kid. I used to sleep with my eyes open. Anyway. Anyway. Do you want to move on to the next one, or do you want to... Let's, let's do our final one. Okay. The final one is The Omen is a sequel to Rosemary's Baby. Which I could believe in some ways, but in other ways I can't because, especially with the timeline. I don't. And it's primarily because of the timeline. And this is the only thing I have to say about it. So Rosemary's Baby was released in 1968, eight years prior to The Omen's release in 1976. Damien's five years old in The Omen, right? Yeah. So in order for that timeline to work, that means if... He's truly five years old when the omen is released. He wouldn't have to have born in 1971. Two, like three years after Rosemary's Baby. Well, you know, it, this it is the Antichrist. He could grow quickly if he could. Well, if that even were the case, sure. But that's never been implied. I mean, the only thing we know about Rosemary's Baby is how her baby was conceived during a satanic ritual where... This, this satanic coven drugged her and convinced her to have sex with somebody she probably thought was her husband Guy turned out to be a monster, the devil. And that's how her baby was conceived and then was later born with messed up eyes or at least the, what they say is like the eyes of Did his father. Did you see those eyes, what he looked like too? No. Like, oh, in the Rosemary's Baby? No, they don't he show looked, you. Oh, yeah, I saw what he looked like. No, they don't show you. I thought I saw what it well unless that was the dad having sex with yeah her if it bed. was the dream sequence where Rosemary is actually which having, that is fucking yeah. horrifying too yeah especially when everyone's around the bed and Naked. they're like yeah. yeah and they're creepily watching them getting it on yeah like some of them might be turned on by that that's just weird but anyway I digress so but that timeline just wouldn't make any sense because then you go on to the omen and the only thing we know about Damien is that he was adopted by Gregory Peck's character and his wife shortly after their child was stillborn. That still doesn't tell me much because 
in his search to figure out where Damien truly came from, he comes across the grave of Damien's supposedly dead mother and finds a jackal skeleton in the so box. So it's a female jackal, then? Yeah. Hmm. But that still doesn't tell me the connection between Rosemary's baby and the omen. Just the fact that these are both movies that involve children born under Satan or whatever. Yeah. But still, it doesn't tell me much. What do you think? I mean, it doesn't really tell much either. And just, you're right, like the whole timeline would just, wouldn't make sense for any of this to happen. Especially Rosemary having Damien grew up to be this young kid in a short time like that. Right. And then that would have had to have meant that at some point in time, either the child was taken away from Rosemary or Rosemary died and they had to relocate the child in some way. But that still doesn't tell me anything well, about that Rosemary theory. what if Rosemary was the Jekyll? Like she, How? That, well, maybe she never knew that she had that demon side inside of her. Maybe she always knew that she was human, but when really she's just a Jekyll who just birthed out freaking Damien, the Antichrist. I still don't think any of that holds some relevancy. That that doesn't really make a lot of sense So to this me. one, I would think right here, is the one that holds the least type of theory accuracy. It's the, it's the most least plausible theory in this whole conversation that we've just had. Okay. Like, everything that I said from the beginning going forward are theories that at least hold some relevancy to each other. Like, the Loomises and the Tethered and Michael Myers and the, their characteristics. Those are more accurate those, than this. Those have more connections with each other than the last two. And I feel like there should be more to this. And I know that like we've only talked about four and it's going to be a pretty brief episode this week. But I feel like but, that's fine. Though. But I would like to discuss more of these. Because when I looked into other theories, some of them made sense, some of them didn't. And we will probably do more of these in the future. But for now, I think these four theories... Some yeah. of them were compelling. Some of them just didn't have a lot of evidence yeah, to back it up. Yeah, some of them were great, and some of them were really, eh, it was all right. But no, but it wasn't, yeah, like that. But I know. I, but I feel like this is fine to do four this time because it gives people to want to know, hear more, want right. to hear more theories. Right. And like I mentioned before, I was going to go on Instagram on our stories and ask you guys the listeners who follow our instagram page if there's any horror fan theories that you guys have heard of or probably thought about and said oh i think that this is connected to this definitely submit it and then we'll talk about it in a future horror theory episode yeah well i'm looking forward to it i think we should do an entire episode though about stranger things fan theories i would actually be i have been hearing so many theories surrounding the stranger things universe that i am excited to talk about those i would like to hear some yeah so that would be intriguing to do right so yeah so other than that um i think we're good with everything yeah um it's been actually a fun episode to know about the theories and what is accurate and what is not Mm -hmm. because i feel like in some way maybe in another universe of ours these are actually movies that actually coexist right so but other than that i hope you all have a great day Mm -hmm. and thank you for listening to the abby normal podcast i am your host colin and i'm Aaliyah. signing off this is for you everyone it's all for you